0: Runners Radio is brought to you by Runners.com and the Runners Red Zone. It's the only running coaching platform you will ever need. There's no thinking, no planning. We do all of that. Just put us in your ears and away you go. 45 minute quality running sessions, strength and conditioning for anyone, yoga and much much more. If you're wanting to take minutes off your PB, run a marathon or just beginning your running journey, then head on over to runners.com, that's r u double z.com and get started. Rightio, let's get on to the show. And welcome to Runners Radio. i tell you what, our guest today had one of the purple patches in middle distance running in Australia and probably the world for a period of time there. Um, I'm. It's a privilege to have her on a fellow Victorian, 2012 Olympian and all-round superstar. Welcome, Kayla McKnight.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Rick.
0: Kayla Hutchinson now, married name. Yes. Going by that. Got to go by that. The listeners would definitely know you as Kayla McKnight. They a real... Purple patch of vein, vein of form for a good seven or eight-year period. 1,500-metre runner predominantly, but stronger, uh, strong, just as strong over 3,000 and the 5,000 as well. But t- take us right back to the beginning, Kayla, um, Olympian dual world champion representative and all these things. Where did it all begin for a young Kayla in Gippsland, Victoria?
1: Uh, well, it did begin in regional Victoria. So I'm from right down the bottom on the way. Most people would know where Wilson's prom is. I grew up on a farm on the road to Wilson's Prom um, and did all my schooling down here. And um, I was a kid who loved sport. I think anyone who knows um, anything about the country, kids in the country really enjoy their sport. So I've got two older brothers and I was heavily involved in anything that um, was outside and was competitive. I was involved in that. Little Ass wasn't really that exciting for me. Probably more into the netball, basketball, swimming, those sort of things when I was young. And, um, yeah, it just kind of continued on. Athletics wasn't really a thing or a competitive thing. I did through school um, but it was probably a bit lazy um, to be really, really competitive. Would come top three, four in the state and then if I put in a little bit of work, I'd go all right nationally. But don't have, I have one junior national med, uh, first place. And then when I moved to Melbourne, I actually just go back a little bit. I had a coach who was connected to the Knox Athletics Club, which is in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Um, A gentleman who is a huge influence on my life. He um, used to coach me by correspondence as a kid. And as I said, I was probably lazy. He'd fax them back in the day, my little training programs um, from 12 to probably 15, 16 years old. And I'd do some, take some, leave some. um, And depending on what I was doing, that year whether I was playing netball or you know and then turned into chasing boys or whatever I was doing um so he when I moved to Melbourne to go to university when I finished year 12 I was doing no sport from 16 18 I probably made the big mistake of what many girls do and stopped playing sport um whether that was through burnout or I thought I was focusing on my studies um and then when I moved to Melbourne to go to uni I actually had the opportunity to just go down the track and thought I'd just – it was more to make some social connections. I'd moved um, an hour and a half away from my home um, in a share house in the eastern suburbs and um, went down the track one Tuesday night just to say g'day to Richard, his name was. Um, um, And he still had a group of kids down there and that was the first time I actually had the opportunity to train with other kids. Um, So I saw these kids and I thought, this is a really great – I might come down and do this a couple of times a week. And from there, um, as an 18 year old or nearly 19 year old, just started university. I started with a 10 minute warm-up, and kind of took four or five years to progress up to whether a state level, breaking my PBs from a young kid and then up to a state level and then national level and then um, on a world level. So that kind of where I kind of grew. It wasn't something I, a lot of people to go to the Olympics, they kind of have a dream from a really young age And I didn't really have that. Um, I just liked it and it probably came a little bit easy and I wouldn't do the work. But when I got a little bit older, I just wanted to get fitter, just wanted to get better. And each week I just got better. And Richard was really great. He nurtured my body um, from not doing too much to being able to handle pretty rigorous training. So that's how I kind of got to that level.
0: You've, you've brushed over that real quickly and we'll get to that but yeah thanks for the insight i love it because if you the listeners will know that we are big on on um, multifactorial and just and not specializing as a youngster especially so yes Kayla was pretty relaxed and pretty pretty um laid back about it all but netball and other sports were, were a primary focus i also love this story because of the heights you got to and I, if you're listening in your car or having a jog at the moment and you feel like you're just not anywhere near where you want to be from a fitness perspective like you were there you were there only five or six years before you ran an Olympic semi-final like well, in a blue rebound event in the 1500 so you you felt not great physically and, and all these things and just didn't you weren't very active so take us I guess how you you progress at Knox and is it Richard Huggins is that is that yes it is Richard Huggins so that's a, um, a an incredible coaching performance in itself to build the trust um, I guess, and to build that relationship with yourself via facts, or, or and all those things, but to have, and then to clearly just um, nurture you back down. And like you said, not 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 an easy effort to get someone who has been studying or partying or doing all that, and not not running consistently, and to take you progressively, incrementally, and intelligently to the levels you got to, and of course onwards um, with with the other coaches we'll get into later, but. So hey, give me, give me a bit of a lowdown of your first six, 12 months back running. Um, I guess they're AV meets or, or were they even? Athlete, yep. So yep. take us through that.
1: Um, so initially, obviously it was probably early in the year. So I think the Australian athletic season had probably finished. I think it was probably March um, by the time I'd kind of gone down there and I would just finished year 12, I just started studying in the city. Um, so there was a bit of travel involved with that and, I just simply went down there and Richard, he had a fantastic group, like sometimes in this period, in the years to follow, he had 40, 50 kids down there training. Um, And they vary in age. I was probably being 18, probably on on the upper edge, like there was probably some kids that were early 20s. Um, He had a lot of success previously with um, some kids doing really well nationally. But he had a fantastic nature and he's just, um, there was never any pressure, like it was never um there was more for it was fun and even when I was competing like he'd come over and watch me internationally and I'd change coaches further way down the track it's always about just having fun have a smile enjoy what you're doing um and for me the huge benefit to having a group I was grew up in country Victoria didn't have that opportunity that often um so coming down meeting some kids making it fun putting me in so I started with a 10 minute warm-up like there was kids probably six years younger than me and for an 18 year old girl that was, you know, that's hard work. But um, just starting to do the, the, the technical things, right? So doing a warm-up, getting myself warm and then having a little go at a small session, probably a bit tiny. I can't even remember what they were, but just something little. And so I felt good about myself. And then I kept showing up and I don't really know why I did keep showing up. I think my boyfriend, now husband, he would go to footy training Tuesdays and Thursdays in Melbourne. And I think um, rather than sitting at home, I thought, oh, well, I'll just go down here. I actually didn't have a car. So I rang up my dad the day after the first day I went down there and said, oh, dad, I can't get to training. I borrowed my boyfriend's car, but I need to, I'm going to go to training. And I think my dad was a bit shocked. And so I had some money saved and he helped me buy a car. So I got a car pretty quickly and then was able to get down to training and started up just running a couple of times a week. And then um adding in some stuff and I think I've had really huge gains when you come from somewhere of not doing much and you're not pushed too hard obviously I think I was pretty sore but um it was all on grass I did a lot of stuff on the inside of the track um so on the grass looking after my body um and just really slowly building up I probably could have built a lot quicker but he didn't put a lot of k's into me straight away um just what I could do and then there wasn't a – and I'm so goal-orientated. I don't know if I knew what I was doing, but at the time it was just – I just kept showing up. It was just consistency. So, And I've been really lucky with injuries, and even now after having children, I'm really lucky with injuries. So I think my body really enjoyed the grind, and even if it was so small at that time, and then just gradually building up and getting a little bit stronger and um, enjoying company of others. I'm fiercely competitive um, behind all the – all the laughs and all the giggles, there's, there is a bit of um, very, very fierce competitive Which Richard. I think he just, he um, showered it with laughs and smiles and I just grinded away. So, yeah, kind of that's how it started. I just consistently kept showing up, kept working, trying to be better.
0: Yeah, fascinating. I love it. I love that story. It is unique, especially um, to make the level you made Um but what isn't unique is all the variables you mentioned, the consistency of just showing up. There was nothing sexy. There was nothing fad-ish. It was just continuing to show up. Uh, Coach Richard just did his thing and, yeah, came from a bit of a, a different angle because he possibly knew what you needed at that time. And, and just not the being in a hurry was a big thing as well, not being in a hurry to to increase the mileage, not being in a hurry to to prove anything too quickly. And, yeah, stoking the competitive fires just enough to keep you hungry with that. But again, what I hear from all that, and I didn't know that story that intimately, but was the intelligence and the consistency and all the things that make good good athletes and good human beings, really. And doing it with a smile on your face in groups with a fairly large group down at Knox for your your long runs and your sessions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And i really, I've still got some of those friends, like one of my girlfriends that I started with, she went over to America and went to college um, and we're still like best, great friends now and one of my mates um I trained with and traveled the world with so we were both able to be successful and he's hoping to have a crack at his fourth olympics so we yeah I had really great people and people striving to be better like in terms of whether we were trying to make the state championships or do better and it was interclub I started out at the AV interclubs and just trying to um I'm hugely driven to improve my time so if Richard gave me a session up could have been just 400s um he would I just want to better it like each time so that and even now in life I can see that I'm trying not to get too involved in things because otherwise it's it's all on um but yeah just that wanting to improve and yeah like you said he understood what what kind of athlete I think I was as a kid I'd come down to the last state championships when I'd done a bit of training and. With 200 to go to teach me race techniques, he stands with his arm up high in the air um, and just let it down, and that meant that I had to sprint. And I was just so, like, so competitive that as soon as I hit the front, I didn't lose many um, in that little period. We were 12 year old, and I was pretty tall. I'm pretty tall for a girl, and um, I stood out. But <laughs> Richard, I think he knew me so well that he just let me, let me. Um, he just lit the fire a little bit, and I. I was really happy to come to the party to make it really competitive with
0: he anyone. A, he did a bloody good job, didn't he? Um, tell tell us about that period. I guess you, um, I know you're at uni still, and you're you're trying to um, get yourself at a in a good competitive level. When did you? When was the day? Was Was there a particular day or race that you go? I reckon I might be able to go a little bit further than than I thought. Here was there a particular uh, race?
1: Yeah, two thousand and six. The Commonwealth Games were on, and as I said, I was like, we're from a really like this family that really enjoys sport. And my parents, got, and my um, boyfriend, who's my husband, Brad, we got tickets to the Commonwealth Game and watched the athletics. Um, and I just, just before that, they had the state championships for AV at the MCG. Um, so I'd probably been running about eighteen months. And I managed to get myself, I was running more 800s at that time and got myself a medal, Um, but probably wasn't that polished and wasn't quite where I wanted to be. And my training partner, who's a boy, I think he got the gold. He did a bit better than me. He always seemed to get one place better. Um, And I kind of, um, from there, after watching 2006 and going, this is pretty amazing sitting in the MCG with how many people it was at that time, watching these athletes go around at the Commonwealth Games after I'd run there a week before, I was kind of like, this is pretty cool. Mm. Like, I'm not there. I'm nowhere near it. But I think that year um, or the next year I went to the Nationals. Um, and so from that point, I think I came 10th, to be honest. Um, and then that point I wanted to improve every year. So the next year I loved the competition, the training. The training was done to do the competition. There was, I enjoyed the grind, but I loved the race. And I still now, like um, anything, if it gets, i managed to turn it off, but there's certain things if I know if I get too involved, it'll get too competitive. Um, but yeah, that time, I think I came 10th at nationals in the year or the year after that. I'm unsure of my time. And then I think it came fifth the year after that. And then I got a medal. Um, at the nationals in the 1500. By this time, Richard had talked me into running 15s as opposed to eights. (laughs) Um, So I'd always hated anything longer than I needed to do. So he got me um, into the 15. I got by that time and I think I came third. 2009, I had a real crack at Sarah Jamison, who was a real, um, I started doing some gym by that time. So I really started working a little bit harder, um, and for a woman it's really important. I've got huge benefits by doing some um, strength and conditioning and my mileage was up a little bit. I spent a lot of time running with boys, um, which helped for me. Um, my body was really hardy, so being able to do those long rounds at Listerfield in groups or up at Fernie Creek, um, I got a fair bit stronger. And, it, yeah, got a medal at Nationals, and I remember I wanted to be, I think it was second or third, and I had a real crack at Sarah Jamison and she obviously wasn't in shape. she normally go to Europe and get really fit and I thought uh, I'm a chance to try and get better. Next year I might get a win. Um,
0: yeah, that, that, was that the summer of '09.
1: Yeah, 09 And oh. I was picked up after that. Nick Bodeau um, invited me over. I went to New Zealand first in March just after or between the nationals. And I ran at the big Melbourne track classic and came second. And I was running massive PBs by this time. So I was running probably four, five, six seconds over 1,500. I reckon I went from 420 to nearly 410 in a year uh, or somewhere around that. Um, so every race was so exciting because mm-hmm. I'd just, I'd be competing for the top three or whatever and I'd be getting PBs. And that's all I really, like I couldn't care that I got beaten on the line because I ran yeah. a four second PB or whatever. Um And then I had an opportunity. I got a call to go overseas, Um, and I just was in my last year of my uni degree. I did a commerce degree at this time. Um, My husband, he's a school teacher, and he was working. And I think I'd worked out what I understood some of the important things like sleep and recovery, and I started to eat better. Um, So I got. I was doing strength and conditioning training, so I started got a better idea of like what makes those one percenters. What makes you a little bit better? Um, and I always could run really by this time could run um, big mileage with no injuries. I had no injuries. So that was probably the key to my success. I had no, I've never had a bone injury.
0: Yeah. You say, yeah, but you look like you said, you figured it out pretty quick though. The S and C factor, the 1% is sleep is obviously number one, just the, the ability to, I guess, listen to your body a little bit more. So how much of that's luck and how much of that is just figuring out pretty early what your body responded to. Um, I'm intrigued about the mileage because we're coming into your your peak phase, which I know we'll spend a lot of time on. But um, tell me about you. You turned yourself into someone who didn't want to, didn't love racing further than a mile, or even even that to really being a high responder to some some pretty big volume. Was that more under Nick Nick Bordeaux, um than early days? So I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I guess it's a good good as time. Annie, to look at what was the. I guess it's looking at a bit of the, the Kayla methodology, but also the, what was the, the standard week in a peak training phase? Let's just, let's just use a phase leading up to like a, a major championship meet in your peak phase. Give the listeners a standard week, Monday to Sunday.
1: So um, yeah, I was one that responded and particularly I changed in about 2010 to I kind of worked with Nick and Richard. Um, Richard was happy. Um, with the opportunities we could get and he still helped myself and i worked with jeff risley a lot um so i went and worked under nick nick's got a huge i guess i can say philosophy of big mileage um and i responded really well to that so coming from i was probably um 20 21 by this stage 22 maybe um, and my body was matured. It hadn't done any real training, like I'd done nothing kind of from the period of 16 to 20 in terms of mileage, and by this time I'd played a lot of netball as a kid, so my body was used to impact. Um, I also grew up on a dairy farm. My parents I hated milk. But they made me drink milk, um, and they were beef farmers, so I ate a lot of red meat and all that sort of stuff. So I don't know if that helped, um, but I had no trouble with – the mileage so from a Monday under Nick in probably 2010 um, probably 2010 and 11 he amped up my mileage and I'd do term like in 50 to 60 minutes in the morning um, and then probably go to the gym and then the afternoon um, do another 30 minutes Tuesday morning I'd do a track session um, I wasn't a great I could do six probably 6k 7k in the session. Um, with warm-up and warm cool-down, um, and then I'd probably run in the afternoon another 30 minutes as well. Wednesday, it could be a seven-minute run or it could be a double, again, like a Monday, 50 to 60, and then 30 in the afternoon, i will go to the gym again. Um, Thursday, I would do a session, a tempo or a threshold-type session. Um, by this period, in 2009, I actually moved back home to the country so i would do that on the rail trail my husband would ride the bike with me on a heart rate so we generally do a heart rate session and i wasn't doing probably broken 30 minute tempo so like um seven eight minutes the minute jog and then do that three times um up to 10 minutes Um, and then i might run thursday afternoon as well friday i'd probably just run once in the morning Um, saturday i would do hills um down and i always did this with richard Um, in a big, like pretty much all year round. So we do out at police paddocks, hills, um, and I could do only six, seven K. So it might be one, six times one K. It might be three times two K. It might be some hill circuits. They were like particular distance um, off a minute or so. And then um, Saturday afternoon I'd run again. Um, And then Sunday I'd do 90 minutes. I never really went any longer than 90 minutes on a Sunday um so I could have been and I never counted my miles like I didn't get a Garmin until like 2013 like I didn't I didn't care for the didn't matter and I didn't care if it was 48 minutes if it was meant to be 50 minutes there was none of that like I just
0: no but I I, think on that mate you you've that was brilliant we'll get back that I think it matters too much to people at the moment like if you look at some of the best in the world at the moment um, they, they still use polars because they don't want to look at the... It's just minutes. If Nick says run minutes, you run minutes. It's irrelevant. If it's, It doesn't have to be spot on. And often people get in the, they feel in the habit of running this grey zone or running too fast on their easy days. So they're not absorbing the work of the Tuesday or the Thursday or the Saturday as well. But I love that you said that, that you just, you just ran. You didn't, never kept a diary.
1: No, I can... I get an email. So in 2009, I did move back home. Um, my husband got a job and I, I really um i love the country and we down here a lot of people wouldn't know in south Gippsland the railway line from the city doesn't um doesn't go down here anymore and they've ripped it up and it's uh, it's a rail trail so it's about hundred i don't know 30k of like beautiful crushed rock like around the tan in melbourne um to run on and it's some of it's flat some of it's hilly and then so from 2009 to 2012 which was probably when i really started to amp up i would run on the rail trail or on the local golf course so I do, like, a lot of my morning rounds on the golf course and then a lot of my afternoon runs out on the rail trail. And I just ran and enjoyed running. I was always, and by this point I, I, did, I did have goals, like I wanted to be better. So I would spend, we don't have a track down here, so I'd go to Melbourne two days a week, three days a week. I'd use the Victorian Institute of Sport 2009. I got into the Institute of Sport and I'd use their gym and I worked really closely with Nathan Heaney um, trying to, just get stronger, had obviously very limited background in strength and conditioning and he helped me out. Um, And then I could use the ice baths and all that sort of stuff. And my husband had, we had a gym in our house. Um, So he he helped me out. He's a PE teacher and he helped me out as well. And I just um, was building up to really, yeah, we're going hard when I had to and then using the recovery and I was, with the, each year, the mileage increased, I had to just get through. So, some days they were very slow, and some days they were um, like I'd run a little bit quicker. And a majority of my jogs were done with males, which they are a bit stronger. Yeah. I
0: had to keep up. So, Jeff Risley was the major one in this time. Was there any other milers that. Um, in the um,
1: yeah, Jeff Risley. And I actually um, had one of my mates um one of my husband's friends who he played footy with he actually came and trained with me and he he just actually chose running over footy so he became my predominant training partner awesome. um from like probably when we started and he came right through with nick yeah, um, cool. and he'd come down and do sessions he had a flexible job so he actually run with me a lot of the time when jeff wasn't running or someone else wasn't running um and I meet him and he do track sessions as well. So I was really lucky to have the opportunity. If Brad, my husband, was at work um, and couldn't ride with me or run with me, then um, Adam would run with me or Jeff would run with me um, or I'd happily run on my own.
0: You've painted a beautiful picture of the local um, like running parts as well. like The golf course and that beautiful rail trail, like, like how good's that for, for your easy runs to minutes? So it doesn't get any better than that.
1: Oh, it's amazing. Like, in terms of obviously the rail trail, you have to go out and back unless you park your car somewhere. But um, it's busy as well. Like, you'd see people out riding their bikes, um, particularly in 2020, <laughs> this year, even now, <laughs> this morning, seeing people on their, their bikes. or And you can choose different parts. Like, there's some parts that have got great hills and you can do hill sessions on them. Um, some bits are really beautiful and flat. And you can just, you know, lose your mind and just think about what you're doing and i yeah really enjoyed i did run with music um that's one thing i did do a lot of my jogging with um and on the golf course i just do a steady i run whole. um what is it t to t to hole yeah um so i'd run a you know 18 holes or
0: that's great
1: like it was yeah i enjoyed it it was pretty heavy i think the grass also made my legs pretty strong um it wasn't a Completely flat. Jeff actually came down one day and ran the golf course and it's like, oh, this is part of it. it looks. Um, it's not completely flat, but um I just got used to it really What's the golf it.
0: club, Kayla?
1: The Meaning yeah. Golf Club was yeah. where I ran. It's very wet at the moment. Underwater. It's been closed all almost all winter.
0: We did we did come off a pretty heavy weekend of rain. Uh just gone in Melbourne. Just I'm interested as well. Before we get on to the Olympics and the national champs, um, you, you like well, we spoke about you being a responder to mileage. In the 1500, it's look, it's arguably the most prestigious event there is, and it's it's everyone in the world wants to win it. There's there's it's possibly the hardest thing to win in the world. Like everyone can run if they want to, um, and everyone you don't need a man of money. Doesn't matter where you are from in the world, and it's the metric mile. It's, it's prestigious It's hundred odd years of history. Um, but the the way we attack it, I love it as coaches. It's very different. Like it's very polarizing. Like the, you got someone that can't come from a speed background or just he's a high responder to speed or has more fast twitch outlook uh, and makeup. You got someone who might really come from a strength background and, and even run 10 thousands before they, they, they come down as a, as a junior. And um, you were a bit of both, but I would dare say you're, you, were, you were come, did come from the strength side of it. Just it, you responded to that. Well, When did you find that out? And when did you realize that, yeah, I've got to really tailor this? Or was that Nick or was that Rich that said, I think we've got to tailor these sessions to be more like that strength based runner. You were brilliant tactically. And I know, um, I'm not sure if if it's talked about, but you're just a brilliant tactical racer and you really, you were a great championship racer, which, which isn't easy to do um, because people do fold in race conditions. So it's almost harder to be, to be good at those racing. So all these, you had to play, you had all these variables you had to play into your training. So How did you marry all that in?
1: Uh, Well, I was a very um, diligent athlete and I did leave a lot to the coaches. I think even now uh, I thought, oh, my God, I must have been so naive. But I I was willing to listen. I did a lot of what they said. Um, And like I said, I just bought into the mileage. Um, The mileage, I kind of, yeah, probably 2011, I really worked out that it worked for me. Um, Nick kind of amped it up by that point. I was running probably 120, whatever case, and I was able to do the sessions. Um, and I wasn't getting injured. So that was probably like um, I was getting stronger, I was getting fitter and I could handle it and it seemed to respond in my sessions. I could come home really well. A lot of my races I came home really well. I do wish I did do a little bit more speed work. I changed two coaches to Andrew Russell later on. And I actually, um, he had some massive like just changing pace sessions and just things at really high speed and I just couldn't do them even now even then in 2013-14 so um yeah speed was something I would had the capacity from a really like from when I started to get fitter that I could run for a long time at really decent speed um so you know anything 400, 500, 600 to a k I could actually just maintain a really decent pace. so 1500 kind of worked for me. It's probably the top end speed. Um, I needed to train in a little bit more. Um, but that came like um, 2012 I think we really got that right um, for the Olympics I could I did a PB over 800 I ran around I think 202 or 201 in training in a training session um, and it really worked in my favor. So yeah I got a lot of strength from the distance the real distance of training. And then I could actually, I just naturally had that, like could hold a really long, long kick for a really long time. It just naturally came. And I I knew my strengths. When I raced, I really did know my strengths. I knew that over the last 200 metres, I could be stronger, but I wasn't necessarily going to be fast. And that was in Australia. Um, So overseas, I was going to get eaten alive Mm. in the last 200. So I had to either be ahead and make and then the competitive like your adrenaline kicks in and you don't want people to pass you so I think I knew my strengths I knew what I was and I was tactically I I loved a race so anything if I was going to use anything to my advantages I knew where I was at and I, I knew what where I was at in my training like Nick and Rachel were both really good at that I knew whether I was fit and I was confident I remember I went to a race somewhere and they said you got plenty of swagger like in Australia I was like excuse me but I was really confident maybe that was the high mileage. I'd done the work mm. um, and I wanted to rock and by that point I'd done some work with some sports psychologists and I wanted to rock up to a race and know that I would be able to compete, whether yeah, I was good enough or not, but I wanted to be able to um, show up and be confident in myself and Brilliant. say, well, like, I'm going to own this. Yeah. They have to beat me, in Australia in particular. Um So I don't know if that was swagger or it's just like,
0: well, I've run 120Ks for however long. I'm not sure that – oh, swagger, it's confidence. It's certainly not – if you want to show up to a a starting line any other way, I think that's a great way to be. And you you do have confidence in the training. Like if you've put down 18 months of work that you know is pretty spot on and you've played your strengths, then um, you're allowed to. I I definitely would not have um, described you as being – over like arrogant or anything like you're very you nah. took you took everything in your stride and you're brilliant with that but I think a confident swagger is like every good athlete has to have that and if you don't then you possibly uh you're just going to be an also round. but yeah that's brilliant I love the articulation of the um the way you, you found you just listened to the boys and you, you kind of knew where you're at um and what worked for you um coming into that period I'd love to know about that period of the national champs around twenty twelve. So you've already been to a couple of major meets, world champs. Um, we won't gloss over that, but we'll spend a bit of time on your overseas racing. But you were a double national champion in twenty twelve. Uh, that was that. What you felt to be just you, you started to get it right. You started to go there. Stuff starting to come together.
1: Well, twenty eleven. I so twenty twenty. I went twenty ten. I went to the Commonwealth Games in Delhi um, in October, and I really struggled to get there. And I went. It was in October, really late in the year, and I just missed. Like I was done. I was cooked. I got there and didn't even make the final. And I came home and Nick's like, well, you've got a couple of choices. You've got to get fit. So 2011, I spent a lot of time really getting fit and doing that high mileage. And then I made the world championships. I ran all right, got out of the heats, which was probably my first major like world stage. It's the year before the Olympics. And I went, okay, I got out of the heats here. The semi, I got eaten alive. Um, But it was I guess a really big step forward from not making the Commonwealth Games final to making a semi-final at the world champs. So I worked, I kind of went, okay, the next year's the Olympics. Everything's going well. I need to continue what I'm doing, but I actually worked hard, went to Falls Creek in January of 2012, came home, and I usually opened up with a 3K race um, because Nick liked to see, that was a really good indicator of where I was at. And I went down to Ringwood on a really hot day. My parents actually came down to watch, um, came from the country, and I ran a 3K um, in these spikes that I was given by my sponsor. They had my name on them. Um, So I wore them in this 3K and actually got a huge, I, I think I bruised the bone on the ball of my foot in that race, but I was too stubborn to stop at this 3K. I ran well off where I should have been. And actually, this was about eight weeks before the national trials, the national championships, and it was the first time I'd actually had any injuries. I hadn't; I'd been very lucky, like everything had worked always in my favour. And it was eight weeks before the Olympics. I had the qualifying time from the previous year, so to qualify for the Olympics in Australia in the 1500, I pretty much needed to come top two, and that would have secured my position. um, for the 2012 Olympics. So this was eight weeks out from the trials and I had a bruised foot and I rang up Nick and I'm like, oh, he wasn't there that day. I couldn't walk. I was in agony. My foot was, like, cooked. I've got really high arches. If you see me run, I run really high on my toes. Um, And I rang him up and I said, I can't walk. He's like, what? I'm like, I've got a blister. He's like, you've got a blister? And I'm like, yeah, it's really on the ball of my foot. It's, like, cooking. It's bubbling. Um, we, were, well, I wanted to go to the doctor but my husband was like it's a blister but it, anyway it didn't actually settle it took about six weeks to settle um, it seemed to be I don't know bruised I think it did bruise the bone because I couldn't run on that foot and it was my left foot so to run around the track I actually needed my left foot to kind of Fun. <laughs> um, so that period I was obviously reasonably fit. I'd had to shock that 3K was just rubbish. I wasn't not happy with it at all. Um, and so I was a bit down on confidence. And then I had six weeks of pool running and trying to get myself um up and about to because all I wanted to do was make the Olympics. Um and my foot still wouldn't heal, so I was really careful. I couldn't get in the pool for a couple of weeks because I had this massive blister. It sounds terrible. It sounds really like, it was just, it was my foot. It was under the skin. So the skin was kind of bubbling and it wouldn't go away. I had to put peas on it. It would heat up at night. It was so bizarre. I no kept, one believed me. Keep going. Like,
0: it's, um, oh, I had no idea. I had zero idea of this before, before that Epic champs.
1: <laughs> and then it was, so then it took me six weeks to get back running and I eventually, I think a couple, I had to pull out of all the, all the races prior to the trials Um, And I then, so the trials were separate to the nationals. So the trials were in Melbourne in March and then the nationals were in April. So yeah, I got, eventually got myself and I did a track session the week before the trials against Zoe. Um, I trained with Zoe Buckman and we had to run an all out 400 and she, no joke, this was my first training session six days before the trials. She, in 400 metres, she put 60 metres on me, 70 metres. Like, I was like, walked off the track mix like, don't know how we're going to do this. You've got to be as close as possible to that girl because we were too Had the time in six days' time. So um a local chiropractor down here actually put a heap of foam into my, my spike because um, it still wasn't quite right and it obviously flared up doing a track session um, the week before. I didn't wear spikes. I just wore flats um, and I had to put spikes on. I'd never taken – I'm not one to take any plans, but I took a Voltar and – the doctor kind of didn't believe me like the AA doctor that I actually had a sore foot like everyone's like you've got a blister and I'm like yeah it's kind of lingered on for like six weeks um so we got exemptions and everything up to that point and I had to run at the trials and prove my fitness and I actually managed my game was to stay as close as possible to Zoe in the trial um she was my training partner and she obviously knew that I was like had whatever was wrong with me a sore foot. Um, but I actually managed to stay as close as possible and actually pass her in the last 80 metres and win the trial, which is my first Melbourne Track Classic win as well. I didn't really believe in myself and I didn't really believe in anything. Nick didn't, I don't know if Nick really believed me. He was like, wow. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I managed to qualify and that secured my position in, for the Olympics. Um, a week later I was notified that I was selected for the Olympic Games. Um And I was just overjoyed because of what I'd probably been through the last eight weeks before that, I didn't think I would make it. Um, And then I went up to Falls Creek. So my foot, I'd kind of had eight weeks of not much work and I went up to Falls Creek and did a four-week stint before the Nationals and then came down and um, had the opportunity to run both the 15 and the 5K um, over a three-day weekend um, and was able to... Um, I think being really fresh. Everyone else had raced, and as I said, mileage worked really well for me. And I was at a point where I was quite fit. I was relieved because I'd made the Olympics. That was an eighteen-month or a year-long project, or probably four-year project, but really amped up in the last twelve months of that period. And I was relieved I was going to the Olympics, and I managed to win two national titles in the weekend, which I'm, I'm now more proud of than what I was back then. At the time, I had to fight really hard. The five k. I never liked the 5K um, and the fi- Nick was like, you're going to run the 5K. And I'm like, oh, that's before my 1500. Uh, I ran the 5K on the Friday night, didn't have to work too hard and then had to sprint really, really hard with probably a 60-second last 400. That,
0: that 1500 was phenomenal. The the trials race, if if you – um, sorry, the national champ race, guys. If you listen to this now, you need to go and watch the way um, – Kayla wins that race. Just you talk us through the last sixty. You sound like you are running pretty light by the sounds of it. You've already made the, the team. Lots of things were in your favour, freshness wise. You just felt strong. Um, everything was absorbed. You felt good. Tell take us through the last two hundred meters because you just went wooshka.
1: Oh, I just, I just had um, yeah, like I, I know tactically, I really loved racing and I put a lot of mental energy into it forever. And then, yeah, I, I guess I. I knew when I needed to hit the front to be and I was determined not to give it up. So in terms of going round someone and really um yeah, holding your ground, I wasn't the quickest Mm. over last hundred. So really just focusing on your technique. And by this point, I kind of knew what like I needed to be doing and think about you can think about those things even though you're pushing really hard. So trying to get to that line as quickly as possible. Um yeah. And that at, point, I had confidence. I believed in my, I didn't want to lose anymore. I was no. kind of at a point where I wanted to to be the best I could be. National titles are really hard to win
0: yeah. and
1: really hard. Even when you're in form, they're really hard to win. So it's
0: it's massive respect. And that, that's the thing. Um, you, you've got that forever. And no one can take that away from you. But speaking of got it forever, um, the McKnight family, a big sporting family, like even though this wasn't a dream as a youngster, you played all these team sports. There's something pure and quite organic about an Olympic Games uh, jersey. Um, I can imagine the the dinner and and a couple of wines uh, when you actually made the team eventually, that would have been pretty special for the family.
1: Um, Yeah, really special for the community too. Mm. Down here, um, South Gippsland, I was always a pretty sporty kid and they they put kids on the front of the local paper and all those sort of things when you're growing up. And we've been really lucky now. We've had um, Eleanor Patterson, um has followed and she's gone to the olympics um they've had a number of footballers from down here jared ruffhead was from lean gaffer who actually went to primary school with him dyson Heppel, all those people so um yeah like making the team it was it was news in the town and i was living down here so it was really nice um my mum i think they spoke to my mum more than i did more than me they um they she'd go out and they'd ask how i'm going and how my preparations and all those things so Um, Yeah, like I made my husband, he was a school teacher in the town. So all of those things, it was really important for the community. I really, I really valued their support. It was really nice. Um, You know, some days you just want to hide, but most of the time it was really nice to have that support and they'd get up, they actually got up and watched me at whatever time I ran, three in the morning or something. Um, So that was really, really nice to have the community support behind me. They were, they're happy to, so happy for you and um yeah it was it was felt like you were running for a little bit more than yourself and I never felt my parents and my my partner they were because I was with my husband from like the kind of the beginning um they made a lot of sacrifices and even my brothers in terms of like family dinners and all those sort of things they had to eat what what I needed to eat (laughs) if we do those sort of things my husband you know you couldn't go a place we missed a lot of things and I, I never saw them as sacrifice because I wanted to do it. it was something I was determined to do but um, the people around you was really a nice reward for them as well um, to make the Olympics um, yeah I, even it's more so now at the time I didn't really think about it like you know you're, you're really focused on what you're doing my parents came over as well uh, my husband he actually took a term off work and came over and trained with me for the the period over in Teddington and we got a house and all those sort of things so. Um, it's a really nice. It was a really nice experience that I was able to include the important people. My aunties came over and watched me run, and um, I'm really proud of how that panned out, um, as well as, I guess, running the best I could in that yeah. period as well.
0: So um, that's so so beautifully said. It's so much more than an individual out there running three and three quarter laps. Um, it's so there's so much more gone into it into the background of it as well like you said the sacrifice just just the care they, they genuinely care and want to be there as well and want to see you extract everything out of yourself. That's so well said buddy. Tell us about the, um, the village um, was it did you have much time in the Olympic village? did you would you just do your own thing? Was it everything you expected or you gave it no thought?
1: Um, uh, we did I did a lot of work so prior I worked really closely with a sports psychologist who's obviously my first Olympics. Um, you don't know if you're going to get another opportunity. And I've worked really hard in the period So what to expect and all those. She was connected to the Victorian Institute of Sport, so she knew she'd had a lot of athletes who'd been before. So I thought about, you know, what's going to, like when do I enter the village? Um, Athletics was in the second half of the Olympics. So the swimming was on first and then the athletics was on second in the second week. And then the 1500 was actually on, I was probably like three days before the closing ceremony. So I was on pretty late. Um, I was really lucky. Nick obviously had athletes, but prior to me who had been to the Olympics, um, he knew what worked, what didn't. I had the opportunity to, we were renting a house in London, so we didn't have to travel um, from an overseas to fly in. I was already based in London and we had a house rented um, over there. My parents flew in a couple of weeks beforehand so that I could see them. I got massively homesick every year that I travelled. Um, so the 2012, my husband over with me and my parents came over to see me prior to the Olympics. Um, they were all things that were put in place to make me as happy as possible. Some athletes are like the other way. They just want to be completely focused, isolated. But I always loved my having those important people around me. Richard and um, Lynn flew in until my girl, uh, friends flew over. Um, my aunties flew over and I met them all prior. Then I went into the village... I went to the opening ceremony and I was able to march because I was on so late. So we actually, I didn't, wasn't in the village at that time. I caught the train in from Teddington, which was about, I think we had to leave like in the middle of the day and the ceremony was at night to be there and ready and all that sort of stuff. But we could go in via the village. So we went in the village, had dinner at the village and then march. It probably took like, took hours. It probably took like 10 hours, the whole exercise um, but we weren't going to miss it. Like no. everything was um, geared towards that. And my training partners. So we'd all, because we were in athletics and we were on so late, we had the opportunity to do that. Um, mm. And we, we rushed home and I think we saw the lighting of the cauldron right. actually back home. So we marched, and Australia being A was really early on. Yeah. So then we got out of there and we'd been standing up for so long and went home. And it was such a buzz. I remember one of my training partners, he said to me, I've never seen you so happy. But I, it was that realisation of like, yeah, it was quite pure, the moment when you, if you've got, I wasn't worried about my competition. I was in the peak. I'd done the, all the work. I'd done all my sessions and I was kind of at that waiting period. And then I entered the village, I think, um, after the ceremony in probably about four or five days. I had a couple of choices of when I wanted to do that, four or five days before the, my race. And I actually roomed with um, Benita Willis. Um, she was, I think she had done three, four Olympics. She was running in the marathon, um, and she was kind of on the end of her, um, career. So it was really nice to have her, um, as a roommate along with a lot of the other female distance runners. We all had an apartment together. Um, and I just soaked it all in. Like I just was such a, almost like a little kid, but I wasn't overwhelmed. I just did my thing. Um, was so happy to be there, just followed, you know, went around, had a look, Uh, had the opportunity to take my husband into the village. Um, You could take someone in. I just, I was really, um, it was a really great experience for me and I just, I actually slept in on the day of my first race. Like, but he was like, shouldn't you be up going somewhere? And I was like, yeah, I just, I was so focused and so relaxed. I couldn't have done anything better in terms of in my preparation, like looking back, like there was, um, yeah, and I just, I rocked up to the track and it was almost surreal like I went the call room was a really long time and I went to the race and yeah I I remember the heat was in the morning and I like I'd slept in so I was in a bit of a rush probably like 10 minutes like it was nothing um and I kind of went to the race and I was like oh I didn't put my head up because with the 1500 you've got to walk almost the whole way around the track from the tunnel and I kind of got over the point the year before of like people slapping themselves and hitting themselves and really carrying on in the call room. Like I was overall that I kind of knew there was another Australian Zoe so was in the other heat. We'd done all the scenarios. I was so prepared mentally with what I was going to do that I was I was just there was just all, all automatically like there's no nerves. I was so calm. I was so confident with what I was doing. And I walked around the track and I didn't put my head up. That's the only thing I didn't do because I was like I just need to get to the start line do what I need to do. I'm not nervous, but I just need to do what I need to do. And then I got there and then I ran and whatever and I think I think I'd just qualified, but I was so confident that I'd qualified for the semi like I didn't even worry about that like you could have like they could have beaten you. I think I was the fifth qualified and I was like, "Nah, I was like good. It's all good." Mm-hmm. And I walked up and I was really happy and then I remember the semi final, um I stood had to stand next to a British girl which in the London game, standing next to a British girl when they announced her was like craziness. But I remember when I walked out, I took in all of the crowd. I took in everything. I picked out, I think I'd nearly picked out um, half the Australians cause compared to all the British. And I, I really enjoyed the experience because I thought, oh, look, this is the last one I need to really take it all in. And I stood next to a British girl on the start line and they cheered so loud. And I was like, oh. But it was just, yeah, I was really lucky. I had a really good experience for the the olympics i know i've gone a bit further than what
0: you wanted but yeah not at all you can't you can't you can't go too far on that stuff i love it and it's you said all i'm just so glad that um like no one would have not many people would have heard that so thank you because it's just a really nice to hear like it's so genuine so authentic and and really good um a, a young country girl who loved her sport on the biggest stage of all with her family around her, which, which is beautiful, and yeah, not overawed, and just took every moment in the stride. It's pretty amazing when you're in that kind of race in a semi final, when you've got the home country runner right next to you. And like, I can't imagine the roar, um, because London Olympics w- was massive, and they were hugely patriotic for um for their distance runners on the track. So that that's that's massive. Did you? Tell Last bit on the overseas stuff and then we'll get into some some quicker fires. But um, how did you – you said you got really homesick. What was your – how many winters, Australian winters, were you in the Diamond Like How many – was five or six in a row uh, as a rule? Like how many summers were you over there, European summers?
1: Well, I think I did five out of six. Mm-hmm. 2013 I um, had a bit of a down year after Olympics and I changed coaches and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, I think I did – um, from the beginning. So 2009, I used to get homesick mm. and there was no reason for it. So 2009, I went to the world uni games and my parents came over, but I cried almost halfway to Europe, I reckon. Like, I don't know if I knew what was.
0: Collected I, a silver there though.
1: Yeah, I did. I gave it myself, but, <laughs> <halfway> <laughs> to Europe, but I got it together. Mm. Um, no, yeah. I, and my parents always came over. I think we we're, we're really close family. And I, I do talk to my mum nearly every day now. Um, so in terms of it kind of shocked me. So, yeah, getting really homesick and spending. So we'd probably leave in June, May sometimes I'd go to Asia and then June I'd go to um, over to Europe and then be back in, say, September. Um, and I was lucky to travel with Nick's squad, so I always had people around me and I was really well looked after in terms of that. It was none of that. Like I loved London, um, really enjoyed it. I just, and I don't even know to this point, what I missed. And that's kind of why I stopped running. I never stopped because of injury. I just stopped because I missed home too much.
0: Yeah. Yeah, That's, Um, that's, that's that's great.
1: It's just, yeah. In terms of, I just missed. um, So we did put things in place. So, like I said, people came over. I always, I needed some time to adjust to jet lag. I had trouble with that. So when I went over there, um, I probably need six weeks to get my legs under me. Um, to to perform well i might do a race for after four weeks but i needed really six weeks to be and it was olympics i had six weeks um so to be really on top of my game and we didn't want to i didn't want to leave it longer than that because i didn't i loved it over there and i was so lucky to have the experience but i just couldn't handle it um so being away for so long and now I look back and I'm like, why? But it's, it would be the same now. I'd 100%. still be the same.
0: You never look back. Um, and like you said, you had six summers over there, five summers, and you got to
1: yeah. So and, and I I went yeah, and I really enjoyed. Like I was lucky enough to run in the London uh, the I've uh, London Diamond League. I ran in the Monaco Diamond League. Like Nick gave me fantastic opportunities, yeah. and every year I did have some success. Like you know, 2009, I got a world Uni medal, and I did have like I always had really good experiences. I just Um, struggled with the um, yeah just struggled with being homesick and everything so in the end 2012 I took a lot of stuff with me (laughs) I don't even know if they helped but in terms of like we we freighted a lot of food like just things that were important to us we rented our own apartment did those sort of things and then um, it was a bit better Um, but I never really yeah I wish I was one of those people that uh, was, you
0: can't, you can't wish you didn't, You got the Vegemite and Tim Tams frayed in, did you? You got them?
1: No, nah, it was more porridge and like, um, um, what do you call it? Like recovery drinks. Far,
0: far too healthy, Kale. That's okay. Yeah. Um, no, on that, that's that's brilliant and well said. And I think all of us would be able to resonate with that anyway. Um, and the fact is, like, you, you've made a beautiful life for yourself backing. In regional country Victoria now, with your, your beautiful family, so it was obviously always calling you anyway. And but the thing is, like, it, it's so gla- it looks glamorous for for four and a bit minutes on TV, but there's a lot that goes into it um, away from the track when you, you're traveling around Europe as well. So it's um you, you've done that really well with we, overseas stuff. For the last thing we'll touch on this, was there anyone? This is interesting. I, I don't you don't strike me as type of person to ever be intimidated by anybody, but was there any name or, or big? time athlete or or medalist or or olympian medalist that you looked at in the start line and go yeah i'm I'm, this is big time now she's i'm racing against the best athlete on the earth currently or i know there was a lot of um allocations thrown around a few of the medalists in that era as well but is there anyone that really stood out to you and go i can't believe not intimidated but i can't believe i'm racing against uh, shannon Robri or or someone of that nature
1: yeah, it was, and the Americans, I think we as um, Australians, we looked at the Americans and we looked at the um, British and we kind of compared ourselves to them. Um, yeah, Shannon Robrey was amazing, like those type of people. They've been doing it a really long time and they've done it really, really well. And we were kind of chasing to be better, to get to that point of running fast, like running that to four minutes, you know, having a go at that and then doing it consistently. So those people, um, Jenny Simpson or Jenny Baringer yeah. at the time, she was someone that um, was another one of those people that you looked at. wasn't intimidated so so much, but just we need to be as good, like to be on the world stage and to be getting into those races. We need to be getting to that level, um, and I didn't never got to that level. And there was you know various things, but Americans also carried themselves with confidence. They 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 owned it, like in terms of. If they thought they were going to do something, they they would be verbalize that. I think at Aussies, we had that like inner confidence, but we didn't really walk around and say it so much. Um, which is it's something to learn off. I kind of like was resenting it initially. And then I was like, well, I need to be like that. I need to, and even in the world, like in my how I apply it to my life, like if you want something, you've got to chase it and you've got to, you know, visualize it and you definitely need to be accountable to that. You need to say, I'm gonna do this. Um, so yeah those type of people I think I learned a lot of and yeah it wasn't intimidated but more inspired that we need to we need to yeah. out
0: Br- brilliant answer that's good though currently there is like some really good um I guess American English and of course um Australian 1500 girls do you still yeah. follow do you still follow obviously you would follow it pretty closely
1: yeah I do um yeah <laughs> I, I do follow and they've improved so much and even with the footwear and all that sort of thing and I'm not aware of all that stuff. But, yeah, the games definitely lifted in Australia. Like, um, yeah, I'm a bit sad that I didn't, I'm not doing it to to have a go at those sort of things. And I didn't have as many opportunities. I didn't take the opportunities to run as fast as I would have liked. Um, And now those girls, it's just a, a given. And I think that really would lift you.
0: Yeah, without going down the rabbit hole of, of, of um, technology advances, over that, since you've <laughs> since you've stepped away from the the, the elite level, Jesus, it's uh, yeah. Look, who knows what what could have been, but let's not go back in time. But look, there's been some good. To look Jessica Hole's in uh, magnificent nice. form, amazing, and that's great to see as Australians that love the fifteen hundred. It's it's really good to see that kind of stuff. So she's done super um, with, with the with the sport of running. I guess we'll we'll get on to some quick fires now but tell me about if I'm a young girl or guy um and I'm interested in in um taking my running further just just give us like a quick fire advice for the young listener that might be thinking oh this is something I might want to pursue a bit more seriously um and I play, currently play netball and I'm I'm really keen on my distance running um maybe a bit of advice for the young listener
1: well, yeah, for me, like, but I've actually started some helping some kids down here, and my advice to them is to have fun, to enjoy it. If you're at that stage where you you are take want to take it to the next level, um, really listen, get a good coach, and really listen to what they say. Um, I'm massive in terms of holding them back, um, so yeah, like, you don't need to be, you know, running the mileage and the the pace and the times and all that sort of stuff. Um, at a really young age so in those early teens and those mid-teens like just slowly enjoy it enjoy it for what it is do it with friends do it in groups um obviously 2020s you know put a break on that but um yeah really enjoy focus on those things that are important like learning to race and learning to um learning to know what your strengths are without you know without just building up your mileage and racing to a 10K when you may enjoy a 3K or, a, you know, an 800, 1500. Um, yeah, I think the kids that I've been helping out, it's just I'm just teaching them to learn, new, learn the important things, do the important things well, and then when you're ready and your body's ready and your coach is ready, then you can move to that next level. Be really patient. Yeah, but consistency is like, important. Keep showing up.
0: Brilliant parents can record that over and over again and listen to it in the car because that's, that's brilliant advice from one of the best. And, and like obviously you're going to be a super coach of juniors. You're, you're great with kids as it is, but um, yeah, the consistency, the enjoyment, like there's nothing more important than those two things anyway. And yeah, let's not be in a rush and find your strengths. doesn't matter what you do in life, like find your strengths and work on your weaknesses, but continue to play to your strengths. And that, that goes for any, any sport at any level, but um, that's brilliant advice, buddy. A little bit lighter. Oh, we have got one more training stuff. Um, Favourite session or session you derive the most benefit bang for your buck-wise? Um, it can be as outlandish or as simple as you want.
1: Um, for me, um, hill sessions was the one that really brought me on or really like I'd do that a week out. I did a week out or 10 days out for the Olympics. Like hills was the one for me, particularly girl, um, to make me really strong through my hips, through my core, um so um shortish hills so yes. um, if you've done like an early street hill on the side of the tan so like or um longer hills anything over hills i've did a lot over police paddocks like over 800s just running over under leading hills working really hard but not my favorite session um so yeah if you can do them well if you can do a hill session really well i think you're you're in a good spot um, so
0: I, I know it takes all types and i'd say well, just if you have to pick between the neuromuscular hills of 15 second bouts or that that aerobic power type 600 800 meter type repetition. Um, what what did you derive the most from?
1: Oh, I probably did a combination. Even now, I go out and do a full session. So I did like the other day. I did 90 seconds, 60 seconds, 30 seconds awesome. like combinations and just roll through them. Um, so depending on what your, I think that's something that I definitely feel stronger from doing in the week after training, and I know that was a huge benefit for me. Um, there's always a place for fast strides or fast even hill strides, like 15 seconds. Um, but if you can do something longer over six, eight hundred on a hill, like you're in shape. <laughs> you're, exactly. You can yeah. get up that hill and do them like you know five, yeah. six, seven, eight reps, whatever, um, and jog back down and do them all at the same pace. Like you know, your you know, yeah, your you're going you going pretty well at whatever level. Yeah. Um four hundred were my jam though. They're mine. I, I loved them. I still love them.
0: 400 repeats?
1: Yeah, 400 of, repeats. Off what recovery? Well, Nick used to do them. So you do, um, I think, three sets. So three sets of four. So you do four off 30 seconds and yeah. then you do like a lap jog and then you do um, three sets of that. So you're going to do 12 or sometimes 16. And um, what
0: what race paces were you trying to hold? Well,
1: he changed the paces. So they vary in pace. So depending on what track, if you did them on a grass track, did a lot of training at Waverley on the grass yep. track. Um, and I still did them when I changed to Andrew Russell. I still did those. But Andrew was a bit more aggressive. Um, so in terms of – I could do them in low 60s. And then if you're really like – I probably didn't ever do them under. um but yeah like 65 65 62 65 like the third one make it hard um and then yeah we did obviously depending on your fitness you could do them as lower you know 70s or whatever great yeah like even now like i do i love doing (laughs) oh it's great (laughs) (laughs) great. probably have a minute or a bit long and then have a bit longer recovery
0: it sounds Um, like you're still in fantastic shape
1: but yeah it's um those things, I think it's a nice amount of pain. It's yeah. not too long, and I did love the pain. Still love the pain. Well, you can't
0: you can't be a good miler if you don't love the pain. It's quite simple. You must enjoy the pain of um, an agony of four minutes. Tell me, tell me about the um the longest stuff. The, the three by two, three by three. Did you ever do heaps of that, or or that was more safe? Every
1: weekend I would do hills or a variation of a longer session. So in terms of um, we Which always do pay reps um. I've done like twelve hundred miles, all those sort of things. But on the weekends we would do, it was a 6 to 7K of combinations of 2Ks, 1K, okay. um, all those things off a minute. They were the things that I kind of could do and I would do them. Like they wouldn't be super fast and I probably wish I really pushed myself to do, you know, 315s or 310s. Um, I could always run 320s, like Ks, really easily, even over 2 k. but I really needed to... I where I need to get better is be able to run three minute K's like all like reps. And well,
0: I- yeah, that I've got a bit of a different one, but I want to get to your future because I'm intrigued. But firstly, um, the 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 family you got a beautiful family, so you're going to take all these guys. But if you had three things you you get to take to a deserted island and you're there for 12 months, Kayla, what would you take? Of course, um, hubby and kids are included. Pete, no people, no more people allowed though. Three items.
1: Oh, I don't oh I do really. Um probably um some shoes. <laughs> um no, I just oh gosh. Um maybe a good book or something to sit and well that's it wouldn't like, help yeah. with the kids. More I'd probably take things to entertain my children, to be honest. Good answer. They're two and four and they would absolutely go up the wall or a boat to get off the island.
0: <laughs> but, <laughs> that's, that's very good. No, they I like those a little bit little bit left of centre. What's the gorgeous kids' names? Tell the listeners.
1: I have um, Finn. He's almost four. And Amity. She is um, just turned two last week. So I'm in that very toddler toddler stage of mummy um, is everything all the time. But I'm very lucky that the kids um they go to um, childcare a little bit and when I'm not working. So today I've got some time to sit down and talk
0: to yeah, you. And we re- and we really appreciate you you taking this this massive chunk out of your day as a teacher and of course hubby as a principal. So real busy time and especially coming out if you listen to this in, in recent times of Melbourne's pretty heavy lockdown. So you've done magnificent. I know Regional Vic has been quite affected as well. Tell us lastly, I need to know this. You can go as long or as short as you want. What's the future hold for what, Kayla McNaught?
1: Oh, I'm not really sure. The future holds at the moment. I'm just happy. My mum trying to stay present. In terms of my athletic um, or my sporting, I still absolutely love love sport. And I think I thought maybe when I had kids that it might just all go away. But it hasn't. Um, I had a crack cracks at a marathon just for a bit of fun after each of my children being born. Um, So I haven't really mastered that. I don't really enjoy it but I kind of might have a go at that. Play, I play a bit of netball now again. Um, so, yeah, doing a bit of teaching, just, yeah, kind of coaching a few kids. I'm kind of in that point where I'm I'm just holding back a little bit, just managing my children and going to move forward. Whether I, I love running and I still do it. And I thought that once I stopped competitively, I wouldn't do it anymore. Um, but it probably lasted probably about six months and I still jogged with mates that I trained with. And as I said, I had a couple of cracks at some silly things like marathons and silly things, but not that seriously. I'm committed to not training too hard for them because I know if I get too involved, it'll become too much.
0: It's a good way to look at it. Like oh, I actually saw, like, obviously a mutual friend of ours, I think you paced him for the Great Ocean Road, which obviously is, is a bit over the marathon and it's it's point to point. And um, you did that it seemed you'd like you did that with ease. I'm not sure how you felt at the end of it, but um, you, it's one of those things. You're right. Um, someone like yourself, who's been at the pointy end. If you're at the moment prioritizing kids and, and a bit, you saying like that you got a great balance, which is beautiful, but one day you'll pull the trigger. I believe on a couple of big road events and where it's the marathon, that'll be great. And, and then coaching wise, I think you'd might be a great asset to the sport, um, especially in regional VIX. So if those things um, are a bigger part of your future, I think, would be would be quite um, lucky for that. What about the marathon? Tell us about if if you did have a genuine crack, like you'd really go after a big a big city event. You reckon?
1: Um, yeah, I have been watching them. So my husband's run a marathon; he's run under three. Um, he, um, like I said, I think earlier, he's a very committed man when he commits to something. Um, and we do have, the we're very lucky we have a treadmill in a house, so there is opportunities to train all hours of the day or night if we wanted to. Um, I was so jealous of seeing the big city marathons and overseas. So I have thought I've done Melbourne and I've done Gold Coast um, in Australia. Um, Melbourne I did on my own and probably was my the worst of my life, day of my life. <laughs> I, I vowed that it was harder than childbirth. Um, cuz
0: we've had a few humid ones lately what do you remember a year
1: yeah it was it was a bit humid and it was um i was probably 3 years ago uh, the year after i had my son 2017 um so i had a toddler and he didn't sleep much the, the night before no excuses i got it done but i didn't enjoy it so yeah i'd like to maybe when my kids a little bit older have a big go i love london so i'd like to have a go at london or new york um, more cuz i just want to go over there and have a holiday but that might be put the brakes on for a little bit of, um, uh, until we can travel a bit more. But my husband, we did be able to have a crack at Gold Coast this year, which when it went virtual, we kind of lost all motivation. So I will have another go. I'd like to, yeah, run. I don't think I want to have a real, real, real dip because as soon as my kids, the commitment, I know the commitment that is involved with elite athletics yeah. at shorter distance and a longer distance, I think the time um yeah, for now my kids are my
0: number one. That's hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, but oh, you'd still be, I think, would do an amazing job and run a very, very sharp time. You might find yourself inadvertently running some qualifying times without even, without even having to uh, move away from home at all. So we'll see. But I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, with your, before we leave you, um, is there anything that you've, I guess, to leave us with? You've taken us on this journey. Is there anything you can leave the listeners with and just to really, it doesn't matter what they do for a living or or a sport and just to leave them, I guess, just to try to be better each day.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's a massive philosophy in my life each day. And athletics, if it taught me anything, it's that you, you are what you make. Um, I'll as I said, I had no real huge dreams to reach any heights in athletics and in my life. Now I'm at that point where I've had my kids and I've had, that little career back and it's about you know making what you can of it and being the best of what you like the sky's the limit like have a crack and i think 2020 has really taught us that work out what you want to do and go after it um whether that's in sport or in you know in life with your family um yeah like you know set goals i'm a huge like goal setter so i love writing a goal and getting after it it's much more um you're much more motivated if you know where you're going that's short, long term. So, if you're not sure what you want to do, sit down, write a goal, and have a crack at it. Put it on the wall. Make yourself accountable.
0: Brilliant um, answer.
1: Still got some some time sitting on the wall at the moment, but um, I'm going to have a crack at over five k. Just I love so it. That,
0: that is awesome. Yeah, and that's all it is. And um, we're just quickly like uh, to bring it a bit more into a like, lot. We've got sixty guys going towards. We've called it a COVID half marathon in December, which is like it's it's so. It was ten week plan, but it just it's made everyone just look something on the wall. Um, I I said to a bloke I was jogging with this morning, like if you can just have three different plans each year, like three different, it's anything to keep like your macro cycle is done. Like your fifty two weeks is covered, and everything just flows. And that's that's great advice. Just continuing to keep moving forward and step back, like Kayla said, stepping back and looking at it. Um, If you haven't got anything you're striving for, what can I and what what can give me purpose? Um, you've been brilliant. I reckon I'll get you on a coach's corner somewhere cause you could, you could, um, be huge, huge, um, value for any athlete looking to progress in any level of form. You've definitely got an interesting story and I, um, I really appreciate you sharing it cause it's different and it's awesome and people need to hear it. So I really appreciate your time today. Uh, Caleb at night, we'll, we'll hear a bit from you. I reckon over the next year or two, um, any parting words.
1: No, thank you very much. Enjoy your
0: running. You got, you're got, awesome, mate. Uh, listeners, you've done something today that's going to make you much better tomorrow because you've listened to Kayla McKnight. I'll uh, catch you next time on Runners Radio.